right. Everybody's doing this morning. Everybody good? All right. Well, my name is Michael Page. I am, believe it or not, the campus pastor here. Um, I have been here in the last three weeks. I do still work here. Um, if you need anything, I'm the guy to talk to, um, maybe. Um, it's according to what it is. Um, I just want to tell you, man, God's done a lot of cool things in our church over the last year. Uh, I just, uh, every last week, I've had, to, I've had a chance to sit back and stop and kind of look at just kind of the, the, just the landscape of what's happened over the past year and a half or so. And it, it's, it amazes me every time that I sit down and think about it as I write, you know, what God's done in my journal or in, in my notes or whatever. It, just, it amazes me. And I tell people all the time, I, I get text messages from time to time and say, oh, we're so happy to be part of your church. We love you guys. This, that. And I'm like, okay, oh, yeah, great. But then, then I, I mean, that's a lot. And then I start thinking about me like, look, man, this ain't normal. Like, God, what God's trying to do in people's hearts in this place, the community is building, it's not normal. And I, and I just, I'm happy to be a part of it. I, I tell people all the time, guys, if y'all want to preach, I'll gladly trade places with you. I just want to be a part of what God's doing. I love seeing what God's doing in this place and in people's hearts and in people's lives and in connect groups. And um, like I said, I, I'm, I'm back from a, a few weeks off where I've, from preaching where I've been spending a lot of time with some discipleship planning and some, uh, uh, some different things like that, trying to, uh, to equip our church a little better, to follow Jesus a little closer and go a little further um, than we are right now. And so this morning, uh, you're getting three weeks worth of sermons. So buckle up and get ready because I'm just playing. Um, but we are in a five-week series, right, or a seven-week series right now where we're on week five, and it's called Disciple. Um, but more, more, more importantly than that, a couple of weeks ago, we stepped into a new theme in our church that's going to last the entirety of 2019. We're going to call 2019 is going to be the year of next steps. Because our hearts for you, if you're sitting in these seats, if you're coming to our church, if you're just here visiting, or if you've been here since the beginning and you've, you've, you've failed to take in your next steps in your relationship with Jesus, if you don't do it in 2019, it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not on us because we, you're going to hear a lot about taking next steps this year, I promise. It's about taking your next step in your walk, whether that's in discipleship, joining a connect group, whether that's serving, giving, or going. And so... But this week, we're going to go back into what Eric had talked about last week, um, where he said uh, about, we were talking about worship. So this is going to be the second week you're going to hear about worship in this place. And before we do that, um, I kind of want to give you a, a definition of what we believe a disciple is at this church. As we read scripture, we think a disciple, for all you note takers, if you haven't taken it down in four weeks, this is week five, it's your fifth chance. Um, someone who follows Jesus, someone who is being transformed by Jesus, and someone who has joined Jesus on his mission. Someone who follows Jesus, someone who's being transformed by Jesus, and someone who has joined Jesus on his mission. And we believe that this, this description of a disciple plays itself out in somebody's life like it, this. It means there's three or four character traits in their life where, where it shows very, very vividly that they're a follower of Jesus. We believe a disciple is a servant. We believe a disciple is a, is a worshiper. That's what we're going to talk about today. And thirdly, we're going to talk about this next week. We believe a disciple is a missionary. We believe, we believe a disciple who is not on mission for God is outside of God's will. We believe, it, we believe he's a missionary. And we talked about the first two weeks where Billy and John came and they spoke to us about what it means to be a servant and how if, if a follower of Jesus, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're serving the church and you're serving your brother and your neighbor. And that should be a normal thing. And it's actually more weird if a disciple is not doing these things, Right? If a disciple of Christ is not doing these things, that's, that's the weird part. And 
you know, it, it would be a false representation of everything that Christ came for. And, and then John, a, a, that, the, the week after that, came and he, he asked us to check ourselves, to check yourself, to see whether you're using your gifts to serve and to build up the church that God has built. And so are you, are you using your gifts and talents and abilities as God's given you? Or are you too busy being jealous of somebody else's? Right? And so that's the, that's the kind of the concept that he came with. And then last week, Eric, he challenged us and asked the question, are we putting God in the place that he deserves in our life? And that's such a huge question, man. That will, that will put a mirror in front of your heart in a heartbeat. Are you putting God in the place he deserves in your life? And so today we're going to continue that conversation, but I want to pray really quickly, and then I want to look at um, Luke chapter 7. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7 for those people who have their Bibles, if you want to turn there. Father God, we love you. You're all we need. You're all we want. God, I pray that you would be here this morning in the reading of the word. God, in the preaching of the word, I pray that you would just uh, move me, move us out of the way. God, that you would receive all the glory, all the honor. Everything would be about you, Father. God, come in this place, change hearts, Father. Speak to someone's heart this morning that is far from you. God, I pray for the person that came this morning that knows they're not a Christian, knows they're not a believer or a follower. God, that they would just have a heart change today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 47 says this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who lived, who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. It means she treasured Jesus. That's what that means. When the Pharisee who had invi invited him saw this, he said to him, I, excuse me, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Anytime you hear Jesus say that, buckle up. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owned, owned money, owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. One denarius was a daily wage, daily wage. This was like 500 days of work worth of money. Neither of them had, excuse me, and the other had 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave debts, the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water or eat for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And what I want to share with you in other, other contexts of this story in, in Luke and in John, or excuse me, in Mark and in John, there's, it says that Jesus says that this woman, will, the story of this woman will be told for, for generations and generations and generations and generations. Like her story will be told, and obviously it's being told today, for what she did. And before we get going with this the scripture, before we dig into the scripture a little more, I want to talk about something that, that's really close to my heart. But I want to do a little experiment here this morning with you guys. Is that okay? A little cultural experiment? Is that okay? Everybody's like, oh, God, here we go. I want you to close your eyes. Okay, I'm not going to bring out snakes, I swear. Just close your eyes. Just close your eyes for a second and clear your mind. I want you to clear your mind, close your eyes. Seriously, seriously. I'll give you a second to do this because I know some of you 
And I know there's a lot up there in the old noggin. All right, keep them closed. What, and then I, and I, what I've learned is what picture comes to your mind when you hear the name of God is one of the most important things that you can imagine in your entire life to be effective for God and for the kingdom and have a relationship with him. So I want to read off some names of God this morning. This is what the Bible declares God is. His name is Elohim, the creator of heaven and earth. El Shaddai, God Almighty who blesses. Adonai, the Lord, my master. Jehovah Jireh, the one who sees my needs and meets them all. Jehovah Rapha, God my healer. Jehovah Mikadesh, the God who sanctifies me. Jehovah Nisi, the God of my victory. Jehovah Shalom, the God of my peace that passes understanding. Jehovah Sidkinu, the God of my righteousness. Jehovah Rohi, you're my shepherd and I shall not want. Jehovah Shema, the God who is always with me. And then El Elyon, the most high God. You can open your eyes. I'm going to tell you this this morning. What, what image or thought comes to mind when you hear or think about God the, is the most critical thought that could ever be entertained by any mind in here or any mind out there because it controls every asset of your life. What place God holds in your life controls every facet of your life. You hear me on that? That's huge. It, it, it's what moves us. And, I, and I'm brought to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25 and 26, when it says this. It says, you don't have to turn there. We'll have it on the screens for you. Convenience, baby. It says, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes, man. Look at the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of, each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And I thought of a story as I was reading, I was reading this this week and thinking about this this week. I had the opportunity to go to the Amazon rainforest one time on a mission trip. And it was when I was in college, and I, we were, I was a leader with about six other leaders with about 20 high school students. It was not suicidal. And so we were, we were going down the river one time in the middle of the night in this old, it was a, it was a big boat, but it was old. And all of a sudden, I just looked out the window because it was, had a top on it, and I noticed the stars. There was no light pollution. There was no lights anywhere to be seen for 30 hours away. It was just, it was us, the rainforest, the river, and the stars. And I, and I never realized, and I never noticed that the moon wasn't out. I was thinking it was a, I, think, I thought it was a full moon because I could see the people across from me, but just from the brightness of the stars. And I was like, golly, I could see every little, tiny little star that I can't see from here. It was, you could see the Milky Way galaxy there. You could see, it was beautiful. I got chill bumps, man, and it lit up the night. And, the, and what I noticed is I just, I, I was in awe and wonder of who God was. And I wonder sometimes how I miss that in this place. How I miss that when I'm singing about, Lord, you have no rival. You have no equal. How, do I, how am I able to come into this place and just flippantly say those things? You know what I mean? There's some awe and wonder that has to come. Even the root word for worship, it comes from an Anglo-Saxon meaning. It, it, means, it means worth. 
It means giving worth. It means to, to work. I mean, basically, the definition is a, is a courtesy or reverence that is paid towards worth. And so you see something that's worthy. And my not-so-smart definition of for worship is this, is, is worship is the overflow of a right view with God. My right view of God gives me a sense of worship. When I see him for who he is, I can do nothing but worship. My knees hit the ground, my hands go in the air, my heart is turned towards him, and I see he is all I need. But our enemy, guys, and I can tell you right now that I know that it's true for all of us, our enemy has deceived us. He's lied to us to the point where we think it's our thoughts and not his thoughts, and he's, he's lied to us to the point where we've minimized God and exalted self to the point where our view of God has become so distorted and small because our view of ourselves has become so big. Right? That's the way, that's what's happened. And, and as we begin this morning, I want us to go ahead and get some common ground here and go ahead and agree together that everybody in this room, including myself up here, our view of God is too small. Can we agree? Okay, everybody, okay, I see, okay, we're good. And as the church, what I notice is we'll come here, or we'll go there, we'll come here, we'll go to a church service, and we'll talk about God, and, and we'll, we'll talk about his attributes and how beautiful his name is and all these things, and we'll have communion together. But all the while... If we actually saw God, if we actually came into God's presence, we wouldn't say anything at all. There would be no words spoken because words would not come to our mouth. Air would not come out of our lungs. We, we would be speechless in awe of who he is. And as the church, I want to see that change. And we, we forget that in the Bible when people came and, and saw God and experienced his presence, what did they do? They were speechless, their faces hit the ground, or they died. They died, and they were in awe. And I'll even go as far as to say that almost every person's problem in here that's spiritual, every spiritual problem that's in this room, like doubt or apathy or unhappiness or insecurity or most of all sin, comes from a very a view of God that's too small. It's, it's what it is. It's every spiritual problem is because of a view of God that's too small. And let's be real for a second. As Americans, we prefer a God that's small, don't we? Like we prefer God that's small because he can be managed. He can be, he can be predicted. He can be controlled, you know, because that kind of God feels safe to me. You know, go talk to Moses and tell me if he ever felt safe in God's presence. Nope, that didn't happen. Let me tell you, that kind of God doesn't embarrass us. He doesn't confuse us. He doesn't contradict us or make us mad. That kind of God does pretty much whatever we want, which makes him not the God we claim to worship, if you think about it. And it's easy to follow a God that we can control or a God that, does, that we don't take seriously or whose commands we neglect out of our own convenience. We love that God, man. We love him so much. And don't get me wrong, this may be some people's God in here this morning, but I promise you it's a little g God. This isn't the God of the Bible that we read about in Scripture. This isn't the God of, of the Bible that we've just sang about on stage up here a few minutes ago. And I want to tell you this morning, it's a false God that man has created, adding things that, that work for us and taking away the parts that are hard. And I've said it here before, it's kind of like a buffet-style Jesus. You take the parts that you like, you kind of leave the parts that you don't want. But in the end, what it is, 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 is blatant idolatry and worship of self. That's what it is. And some people, this is truth, I, I'm, and, I'm, and I listen, anytime I preach to you guys, I, I preach to myself three days in advance. I tell you, this is hard truth sometimes, but it's true. And, and that's why people come to church and they act bored in worship. Well, 
that God don't really amaze me that much. You know? That's why people come to church and get uncomfortable when people raise their hands and fall on their faces. This is why some of us would never be seen raising our hands in worship because it's hard to express a reverence for God that you don't have. It's hard, it's hard to express your reverence for God that you don't revere. It becomes a fabrication where if I don't raise my hands, people think I'm not a Christian. If, people, if I don't sing, people don't think I'm this. Or, and we're trying to please man, and we already know in Proverbs it says it's a snare. But listen, this is why people don't give consistently to the work of the church. This is why people don't go out and make disciples whenever we know that was Jesus' last command to us. This is why we don't worship him with all our heart because God has become too small to us. And by my heart this morning is for you, what you would understand is what the, quest, the answer to this question is, is what is the object of your worship? What is the object of your worship? I'm not talking about the songs that we sing. I'm not talking about those things, but our, our worship, our heart condition, what consumes our hearts, our minds, our bank accounts, our time the most. And we've said it in here like this before, back in our Above and Beyond campaign, is what are we going, what are we giving the first and the best of our time, our treasures, and our talents to? Where are those things going? One of my, man, one of my main men, A.W. Tozer, says this. He says, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the Word of God, that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship of God is not ready for heaven. Let it sink in for a second. Are we, do we come in here and are we turned off by what God's leading us to do? Are we turned off by his, his example through Jesus? Are we turned off? Are we, are, we, are we bored? Then we're not ready for heaven. Because I promise you it's going to be awesome. Worship service consistently. And I'll tell you this. When people in the Bible came into the presence of God, they worshiped with their faces on the ground, on the ground. And they were in reverence and awe and wonder of the Most High God. I can just give you a few numbers. 20, verse 6, Moses and Aaron fell on their face at the entrance of the tent of meeting because the presence of God was so strong. Genesis 17, Abraham fell on his face as God was speaking to him. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24, the fire of the Lord consumed the offering and the people fell face down. My favorite story in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 18 on Mount Carmel, the fire of the Lord fell on Elijah's altar and the people, including the pagans, fell on their face saying, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And I hear you thinking right now, I hear you thinking, I can hear, I'm just kidding. Um, that's the Old Testament, Michael. What about the New Testament? What about the New Testament? All right, I got you. Matthew 2, the wise men, these are rich, important men. They fell to the ground in worship in the presence of a newborn baby, Savior, King. Matthew 17, when the disciples heard God's voice after Jesus was baptized, you guessed it, the Bible says they fell on their face because they were terrified. They worshiped God. Luke 5, verse 12, when the lepers saw Jesus, they fell on their face in worship and told him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make us clean. Revelations chapter 1, Revelations, listen to me. When John encounters the glorified Jesus, guess what happens? His face hits the ground in honor and worship and adoration. And I'll say it again, it's hard to worship and serve a God you don't revere. It's hard to worship and serve a God that you don't revere. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, the beginning, the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And what this verse means is that without a, a trembling awe, 
And I'm not saying you're like, oh, God, get away. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, I need your presence, God. I know you're all powerful. I can do anything that I, that I need to ask or want. Or all these things, you're not, it's a healthy, healthy, reverent respect for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Before the majesty of God, we'll never, ever, ever know God truly, trust him fully, or walk with him the way he meant for us to walk with him because you'll never get it. And my question for you is, where are you at individually? If it was you and I in this room by ourselves, where are you at this morning? Because this is my job to preach, yes, because God has put me here to do this. But listen, my heart, excuse me, my heart is for the church to see God for who he is. My heart is for the church to come alive and to, the, and to, and to, to walk the way they're called to walk. But more than that, I don't want us to come here and put on a show every week. I want us to be empowered and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and do what God has called us to do. I'm not here for church. I'm here to have a meeting of the body of Christ to get empowered, to celebrate, and to go out. That's my heart for this place. And I can tell you right now, and listen to me, I love you. If you don't believe I love you, something's wrong because I love you. I love this church. But if this is the only place that you experience God in worship or hear or absorb the word, you haven't even begun to see him for who he is. If this is the only place that you're experiencing the word being taught or worship him for who he is, the God of the Bible is the opposite of small. It's the opposite of manageable. He is, he is big. He's not, he's not just big. He's bigger than big. He's bigger than the words that we could use to describe him as big. He defies everything that we can imagine. He defies our abilities to describe him with man's vocabulary. Can you... Can, can you think about it now? Are you, th- are, you, are you starting to track a little bit here? I'll give you, who likes illustrations? Three people. Okay, good. I'm going to talk to you three. So I love illustrations, okay? I love color and all that kind of stuff. Great. So our galaxy, I'm going to put a picture up here for you. Just our galaxy. This is, our, this is where you live, okay? This is, I, I saw a picture this week. This, you're kind of, you're like right here, I think, somewhere, okay? So that's about where you're living at right now as we speak, as we're talking. Just our galaxy. This is you, your home. This is where you live at. And here's some context for you. You know, I know you, there's a lot more people here who are way smarter than me, and if, if I get this wrong, just come to me privately so I don't feel stupid. So a light year, okay? You know, what a, Everybody know what a light year is? Okay, great. Okay, awesome. Basically, this is the definition that I get. It's the distance equivalent to the, it's the, distance, equivalent to the distance that travels, light travels in one year. And that distance is 6 trillion miles. Six, I mean, how does people know this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Six trillion miles. Six trillion miles. And I'm sitting there like, how long does it take me to count the trillion? I've, did, I've done a sermon one time where I'm like, how long? It takes you 33 years, years to count to a billion. That's amazing, right? So how long would it be if I sit down and said, Savannah, I'm going to be gone for a little while. I'm going to start counting to a, billion, a trillion just to see how long it would take. It would take me 31,710 years to count to one trillion. Right? Anybody else? No, just me? Okay. All right, so think about six trillion. It would take you 190,260 years to count to six trillion. All right, does anybody want to do that? No. Think about that, okay? So track with me here. Our, our Milky Way galaxy, the galaxy you're looking at, is, is, is 105,700 light years across. Okay, go with me here. Think how big this is. It's a big boy right there, okay? Big, big. Okay, so light travels through our universe at 186,000 miles per second. Think about if you went that fast. 
186,000 miles, gone. Like, that's fast. You would disintegrate. Um, so if you could go, listen, think about this. If you can go 186,000 miles a second through our universe from one side to the other, from one side to the other, imagine how far you'd go. In two seconds, you'd go on like, you know, a lot of miles, right? So listen, just our galaxy, just our galaxy, if you were trying to go from one end to the other, can you imagine how long it would take you? It would take you 100,000 years traveling at the speed of light to go from one end to the other of our galaxy. Y'all ain't, ain't amazing enough. Y'all ain't my wife. That's amazing, guys. Listen, our God is big. That's just our universe, and we're a tiny little speck on a speck in that galaxy. And think about 100,000 years, guys. That's 1,300 lifetimes. 1,300 lifetimes. Lifetimes. And that's just our galaxy. And scientists today, they've estimated there are 350 billion galaxies like ours in our universe. 350 billion like that. How big is God? How can we be prideful? How can we be arrogant? How can pride exist? Guys, I want to tell you this morning that you're not that big and you're not that awesome. Okay? You're, compared to that, tell me. We're small, but we worship a big God. Guess what he did? A God that big sent his son to die for you. Oh my gosh, man, that is beautiful. Many writers have exhausted the thesaurus in order to, to describe God and his glory that he deserves. They failed. But his perfect holiness and his infinite majesty, by definition, it assures us that we can't contain in words. And isn't that a comfortable thing to know that we serve a God like that? That's the God I serve. That's the God I worship. That's why I raise my hands and fall on my face before God, because that's the God I serve. And this is what we need to get out of the way this morning as level one Christianity. If you're, if you're at level one, this is, get this out of the way. In view of all of this, worship is more than a song. Worship is more than a song we sing on Sunday. Worship is more than singing. Worship is giving God our all because he's worth it. Because he's worth it. Worship is using our, the, the money you make generously towards the, the work of the kingdom, the church. Worship is serving your neighbor and serving the church, the bride of Christ. That's what it's about. And so we see plainly in this place that worship is expressed in two, firm, two, two forms, I see. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, you, can, you don't have to turn there, it'll be on the screen. It says, through Jesus, through Jesus, therefore let us continually offer to God a, a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others for which, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And so I see two forms of worship here, of many probably, is to, is to offer God the praise, the fruit of our lips, and to do good with our lives. Because I'll tell you right now, God doesn't judge us by our words alone as much as he does with our lives. So if we worship God with our lips, and you see somebody out here worshiping hardcore and getting down with it, and they go out and, they, and, they, and, they, and their worship is not lived out in their life, it says it turns God's stomach in Isaiah chapter 1. It said it turns him, his stomach and makes him sick. Worship is a direction of your soul. Worship is a direction that your soul is turned. Which way is it turned? And don't be deceived by this, guys. We don't, we don't bring anything to God in worship that he does not already have. 
The only thing that we bring him is our need for him in worship. To arrive on a Sunday morning for church, all dressed up nice and pretty, got everything going on, your hair is right, all this stuff. Listen, and we say, we're here for you, God. And I can imagine, like, oh, okay, great. You know, in a sense that you would believe that there's something that you can give God or, or something that he doesn't already have or, or that you can shore up some weakness in God or fill a gap or overcome some deficiency in God is to insult the very core of who he is. Our worship doesn't meet a need in God. It meets a need in us. Our worship meets a need in us. It reminds us of our immediate and our urgent need for the gospel to cover us, the gospel to cover the areas that, that we've left uncovered, the gospel to cover the places that we have gone astray, not just at the moment of salvation, but over and over and over again. It renews us. It makes us new. And worship should humble us at the feet of Jesus, a heart that is full of joy and thankfulness. Joy and thankfulness for a God that big to have loved us to the point of death and sacrifice for our sins so that we can, he can make a way for us to come into his presence. Because without Jesus, for you to come in God's presence would mean death. Hear that this morning. We just read about in Luke 7 where the it's not clear in that verse, but there's a couple other verses with the same story. It was a prostitute. She was a very promiscuous woman. Everybody in town knew who she was. She was a sinner, 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 sinner. And times, those times the Pharisees would very quickly label you, you're a sinner. You can't come in church. You can't worship God. You can't do this until you have been forgiven of your sins and you've given us money and you've done a sacrifice or whatever it may be. She was a sinner. And as I read this story, I can't help but notice the two main characters that I keep asking myself, what character are you, Michael? Are you the woman who's coming to Jesus with everything she had, with her heart laid open before him? Or am I the Pharisee who thinks I'm too good for those things that God has to offer me? And I keep asking myself that. I'll be honest with you. I go back and forth depending on the day. That hurts me, man. I don't, I don't like that. The, the mighty Pharisee, he's sitting up there at the table talking to Jesus like Jesus is somebody below, that's below him. You think about that for a second. That's the kind of conversation they were having. They were testing Jesus. They were making sure he was legit. They, were, they, were, they weren't honoring him. Do I do that? They were discussing things and telling Jesus, man, that was a cool miracle you did over there, man. That was awesome. Look, tell me, Tell me what this passage in the Old Testament means, Lord. Tell me, let me, let me hear about this, or let me, let's have some deep theological discussions on predestination or, you know, the, the tribulation. Let's talk about this. The Pharisees, they took Jesus for granted. They took him for granted. But you had the sinful woman who says, Jesus, you are Lord. Look, I see something in you that I've never seen before. God, I see the very nature of God in you. And I know that you're here to save the world of their sins and make a way back to the Father. And I just want to fall at your feet and worship you because without you, I'm lost. Without you, I'm nothing. Without you, I can't imagine where I'd be. There's nothing else that matters in this moment but being in your presence and lifting up your name. That's worship. That's worship. Coming to the end of yourself, coming to the end of your money, coming to the end of your, 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 your reputation, coming to the end of everything that you think is important in your life and just sitting before God and laying at his feet because he's good. He's good and he loves you, man. There's verse 37 and 38 in, in Luke 7. I'm going to read that again for us. It should be on the screen. It's, uh, it's Luke 7, 37 to 38. 
It says a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Who in here has lived a sinful life? Got a bunch of liars in here. We got a couple of honest people. Good. All right. So a woman in that town who has lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So what did she do? She came. She came to where Jesus was at with an alabaster jar of perfume as she stood behind him on his feet, weeping in a humble posture before the Lord. Behind him at his feet on her knees, weeping. She, became, she began to wet his feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume over them. So she heard Jesus was at this place. She was very aware of her sin. She knew condemnation was strong with this one. She knew her sin. She knew what a great need she had for God and that she couldn't meet it in herself. So what did she do? She came. She came. She dropped the inhibition. She dropped the pride. She dropped the arrogance. She brought everything with her, her sin, everything she had in her heart, and she came humbly at the feet of Jesus. She honored him with a gift that equated to about a year's wage. That jar of perfume was a year's wage. And I don't care if you make $20,000 a year or $600,000 a year. A year's wage is expensive, right? Okay? She brought something priceless to him. What that tells me is she treasured Jesus. She treasured him. She treasured him more than anything else. And she came with everything she had and worshiped him. And that's why I think the, the bottle of perfume is so it's specifically in there and told because it was everything she had. Literally. I think it was a good spiritual direction of this story. It was literally everything this woman had ever made. Think about how she made it to get the money. She still brought it to Jesus' feet. And sometimes I struggle because I just feel like we're too cool, man. We try to be too cool, too reserved. We try to be, I can't do that, you know, you can't, it's, we try to be too reserved with our time, with who we are with Jesus. And we need to just say, God, all of me, for all of you, we care too much about what people think about us and not enough about how, what God sees in us or how he sees us. And I wonder, guys, sometimes if Jesus was to walk through the door this morning on this, on this room, who would be the ones that wouldn't care about anything else besides him just being here? You know, who, who would be those people? And who wouldn't care about their image or what everybody else thinks? Or, or they're, they're not self-conscious, but they're more God-conscious. Like, wh where would we be at? Where would we fall on that? Who, who would be the ones to run up just to kiss his feet and to cry at his feet and to wipe the tears away with, with their hair? And I just wonder who would do that and who would sit back and be like, look at her, look at him. We don't even know if that's really Jesus. Did you see how much money she gave? Did you see her fall on her knees? Did you see? I mean, he's making a fool of himself, man. Like this woman we're reading about this morning did what the most religious men in Israel failed to do. Do you hear that? Like they were, Those were the people you're like, man, that's a great Christian right there. He knows about the Bible. He, he knows all. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Like he, he, they failed to see what the woman saw. Jesus pointed it out later in verse 46 and 40, 44 and 46. It says, it says that um, in contrast to what the woman did, the, the Pharisees had done none of the things to his head or, or washed his feet. But the woman was constantly anointing in his feet with oil the whole time she was there. The Pharisee had God in the flesh. God, the creator of that universe, that, the, the galaxy that we just looked at, the God in the flesh was in his house, in his house, and he overlooked him. He overlooked God. 
My question for you, again, is have you overlooked God in attempts to have your best life now and forget to worship him just because he's good and he loves you? Have you overlooked God in attempts to find satisfaction now, fullness now on your terms and not his terms? Have you become numb to him? Because you've been in church your whole life, right? Everybody's been in church. I know, how to, I know, I know all the old hymns, man. I know them all. I know all those things. I, I know verses. I memorized John 3, 16, 17 times. I can't tell you now, but I knew it then. I, I know all these things. I know all the stuff that I can do. I, can, I, 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 I help people. I go to the soup kitchen. I, I go to connect group. But do you not even recognize his presence when it's right here in your life, in front of you at your house when you open the word, when you're praying, when you're at church and you're worshiping, when you're in your connect group praying for a brother or sister that needs Jesus? Are you recognizing his presence? Or are you overlooking it because you're so concerned about how people are going to view you and how you worship your Savior? When David came in the city, what did he do? He danced. Second Samuel chapter 6, it says David was dancing when he got and it was before the ark of the Lord coming into the city because God had delivered him. And he was bringing the ark back home to Israel. And he was dancing in the streets because he was going crazy. And guess what? When he got home, guess what he was met with? His wife said, man, you're embarrassing yourself in front of all these people. You're acting stupid. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Like, what did David say? This is my, this is my interpretation. David, David said, woman, I'll become even more undignified than this before my Lord. You ain't seen nothing yet. So my heart, my heart this morning, for a couple of things I want you to hear this morning. What is true worship? What is true worship? Two quick things. What is true worship? And this is the best definition that I can come up with, with, with all I got. True worship begins when we understand the weight of our sin and the cost of our salvation. True worship begins when we understand the weight of our sin and the cost of our salvation. And the one can't be without the other. Because until you understand the weight of your sin, you can never appreciate the cost of your salvation. Worship celebrates. Worship centers. Worship encourages. It pushes us forward. It, just, it restores. Do you understand what it means to reject Jesus in the name of religion or fear? Do you understand that? Do you understand what it means to say no to Jesus because you're trying to, to, to worship the own man-made God that you've created in your own head that's comfortable, that doesn't contradict you, that doesn't condemn you or con convict you, that doesn't move you into places where he wants you to be. He keeps you in a place where you want. That's not the God of the Bible. Do you understand what it means to hold back from Jesus the things that he's died for? And here's a fact that I can tell you. There's nothing that you uncover before Jesus at this altar or next to your bed or in your connect group or in your long time with God that, that you uncover before him that he won't cover with his grace. And there's nothing that you, that you keep covered before Jesus that he won't one day uncover. And when you see, when you see God, when you see what God's done through Jesus, when you see what it cost him to set you free, what do you do? The natural reaction is to worship to worship him with everything that you have, everything that you are. And some of you this morning, are, you know what I'm talking about. You know, what did it take you to get to the point of being on your face before Jesus? Just a minute ago, Bridget shared a little of her story about what God has done in her life, and she got choked up. Her, the reason why is because God has touched her heart through her life circumstances and shown her how much he loves her. 
That's what has, what has God brought you through to bring you to your face in worship. Guys, he pursues you. Luke tells us, he says, he leaves the 99 to come after the one. The businessman in here is like, that's weird. That's not, that's not good. That's not good business right there. It don't make sense to us until we're the one. Then it makes sense. Then we're like, thank you, Jesus. You know, I'm one. You know, that's the thing. We're all the one in here. God has done that for us, and that's why we worship, because he's worthy. And know this, people will judge you. People will judge the size of your God by the cost of your worship. People will judge the size of your God by the cost and the intensity of your worship before him. And an un unsurrendered heart, guess what, can experience true worship. And so if you're asking the question, if you're a disciple who isn't experiencing true worship in here this morning, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? There's one thing that covers it all. One thing covers it all. Tear down the idols in your heart. Tear down the idols in your heart this morning. If I can encourage you to do anything in this place, it will be to tear down the idols that you're worshiping that aren't God. Tear them down. The heart of every person in this room is an idol factory that constantly pushes us to put other things before God. Anything. It could be anything. The main thing that we try to put before God is self, though. Self-comfort. I try to buy more stuff to make me happier. I try to do this because I, I like this, and I do this. It makes me, I, you know, all this stuff to try to please myself. And the reason we don't give, the reason we don't serve, the reason we don't go, the reason we don't use our gifts in the church or in the community as we should is because we're so consumed with our own self-interest and the goals we put before God. And guess what? This is the exact opposite of worship. And you don't believe me. Don't believe me. That's fine because I've lived through this. I've walked through this with God myself. So I'm with you in this. But answer this question in your mind, and you can tell you, and you, it'll tell you if you have disciples, if you're, excuse me, if you are a, if you have idols in your life. Answer this question: Do you spend more time planning for retirement, or vacations, or your job, or your family, or activities, or buying things, or doing this than you do thinking about making disciples? That's a hard question. I know it's hard for me, but that'll tell you if there's idols in your life. Charles Spurgeon said, nothing teaches us about the preciousness of the creator as much as when you learn the emptiness and worthlessness of everything else. The emptiness and worthlessness of anything and everything else. Martin Luther says, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that's really your God, your functional savior. And lastly, as we close, Deuteronomy chapter seven. You don't have to turn there, guess what? It's gonna be on the screen. I'm looking after y'all. Actually, Justin Dice does. <clears throat> Chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The, the heading of the scripture is the one place of worship. It says, these are the, the decrees and the laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. It says, destroy completely. Destroy completely. Destroy completely all of the hills and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. God is a jealous God. God is the only God. God is the God of, of now and forever. God is the God of all creation. God is the God who will be worshiped now and forever. And guess what? It doesn't depend on if you worship him or not. But he's invited you in by the sacrifice that Jesus has given you. 
through his blood. And we worship God because Jesus made a way. He made a way where there was no way. Without Jesus, there is no salvation. There is no salvation. You have zero hope without Christ. Hear that this morning. And I'm not just talking about I made a decision one time, I prayed a prayer. That's not what I'm talking about. Is he living in your life? Is he dwelling in your heart? And you say, what has Jesus done? He's done what nobody else could do. He's done what no one else could do. He's absorbed the very wrath of God for you. And that is big and scary. It's, it's, it's finished. On the cross, he says, it is finished. And that's what he's talking about. He made a way where there was no way, and there was no way at all. He made it. He defeated sin on the cross and defeated death three days later when he walked out of the grave. And what did you have to do with it? What did you have to do with it? Not one thing. You couldn't do anything to receive it. And this is what makes the gospel so great. This is what makes Jesus so attractive. And this is what makes him worthy of all praise and all honor and glory. And I was going to show you a video, but I'm not because we're out of time. But it's a video of the Hoyt racing team. You ever heard of them? It's the son who has cerebral palsy and his dad runs marathons with him. He runs, he, he swims and he bikes and he what else did he do? He runs, swims, bike. That's it, okay. He does these Mega Man marathons, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, dude, my golly, first of all, I don't run, so that's hard for me to understand. But listen, like, and I started noticing something this past week. I went to um, Trace Diaz last week. That's why I wasn't here. And they showed a video of this. And the pastor that was preaching said this. He said, at the end of the video, the son has cerebral palsy. Can he run? No. Can he swim? Nope. Can he ride his bike? No. Guess what? His dad puts him in his boat, swims with him. His dad puts him on his bike, rides his bike for him. His dad puts him in a special wheelchair and runs with him. At the end of the race, guess what the son does? Son's, he's like, yeah, smile at people. But what did the son do to win that race? Not a thing. Not a thing. Son didn't do a thing to win that race. But guess what? He was celebrating. Why was he celebrating? Because he had victory because of his dad. That's awesome. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. You didn't hear his dad say, son, could you paddle some? I'm kind of having a hard time here swimming. He didn't say, hey, could you like push your, would you, I need help with the bike. He didn't say that. It's not what he said. He, he sweat, blood, sweat, and tears went in to seeing his son receive the victory. And that's where you're at today. God has made a way for you to see, see him in the end, to be reunited the way it was in the garden. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus and walk with him and live your life for him. And here's what I want you to hear this morning is the only thing that you did in this equation of the gospel was you provided the sin that Jesus died for. That's it. Romans, 8, Romans 5, 8 says this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. And that's just one of the million, million reasons that if you're a disciple of Jesus, we're worshipers of God. If our hearts aren't turned towards Jesus in pure unhindered worship, something's wrong. It means you haven't understood the gospel. If that's you this morning, I want to share with you, there's a way. Jesus loves you. He wants to, he wants to have a relationship with you. And if you've never walked into a relationship with Jesus like I just shared with you, I want you to. He wants you to. And if that's you this morning, I want to give you the opportunity. I personally would like to pray with you. I personally would like to, to talk to you. If, you. if you want someone to pray with you, there'll be people on the sides of the room that would love to pray with you. There'll be someone on this altar that would love to pray with you. If you have to go, you can slip out. That's fine. We're going to sing a few courses of how great is our God. 
And I want you to hear this. When you're singing this this morning, don't just mutter the words. Don't mutter the words. Remember what he's created. Remember the life he's given you. Remember what he's done on the cross to save you. And so this morning, if you never walked into a relationship with Christ where you say he's changed my life, and you feel like God is leading you in that direction, that's your next step. And usually when that happens, your heart's racing. It's like, oh, he's talking to me right now. What's up, oh my God? You know, that's usually what happens. That's how the Holy Spirit works. And that's you this morning. I would love to acknowledge you and to, and to just pray with you and to uh, just to celebrate with you. Because what I tell you, if you take that next step, this, this room will erupt with praise, right? And so this morning, that's you. I just want you to be bold. Jesus was bold in climbing Calvary to die for us. So I want you to ask you to be bold. That's you this morning. I just want you to raise your hand and say, yes, I, that's me. I know I need it. I know I need it. Is that anybody here this morning? Okay. All right. We're about to go into a, a time of a little bit of time of worship. If, if you need anything at this altar, come lay it down and leave it there. If you need prayer, I would love to pray with you. These guys would love to pray with you. Um, but let's close. God, we love you. I thank you for who you are and what you've done. I praise you, God, because you've done amazing things in this place. continue to move in this church. God, whatever whatever needs to be done right now with, with people, God, I pray that you would just uh, have your way in people's hearts right now, Lord. Lord, we love you. God, we love you. We praise you, God. In your name I pray. Amen.